lot of you know that and kind of been walking with that with us. But we're in the book of Ephesians, and we're, if you have one of the white Bibles, we're on page 1081. And the first part of Ephesians, Paul tells us all of these truths, the things about God and things about us uh, that have changed, that we were once dead in sin and made alive. And then in the second half of Ephesians, Paul begins to say, hey, this is how our lives should be impacted by truths of God's word, truth of the gospel, truth of what this changed new life that we have in Christ. And we have a lot of practical things in the second half. And kind of like a hinge verse in, in Ephesians is Ephesians 4. And let me just read that, that verse, Ephesians 4.1. And Paul writes, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He says, walk. You've, you've been called. All these things that I've told you, now walk in it. We need to be reminded as we continue to, to, to look at these commands that he says, do these things. We need to look back on what he said before. So be reminded of the calling. These are some of the things he said. If we have turned from our sins and trusted in Jesus Christ and we have a new life in him, there's all these amazing things that have happened in us. And these are some of the things that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing that we've been chosen before the foundations of the world, that we are holy and blameless in him, in Christ, that we've been, they, we have this predestined adoption as sons and daughters of our God to the praise of his glory. We've been redeemed through the blood of Christ, that we've been forgiven, we've been rescued in Christ, obtaining an inheritance, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and we have this, a new calling, a new hope in him. We've been raised and seated with Christ. We have been prepared. God's prepared good works for us. And we're called now to walk in them and to walk after them and live them out. We've been reconciled. We've been made right with God and with man. We've been strengthened by the Holy Spirit in our inner being so that Christ might dwell in us more and more. And that even that we might um, even begin to comprehend the love of our God and that the fullness of God might be in us. And the list goes on. So there are all these things. You've been called to these things. And then he says, walk in them. And, and as all these things change in us, there's a natural outflow of a changed life. But we need to be reminded of those things too. Um, as Paul reminds the church of these things, we need to be reminded of the things that we are called to. And, and the Lord convicts and he changes our heart. And, he, and we learned last week, there's about a, a lot about throwing off the old self, uh, old unrenewed self and putting on the new self. And... Um, we, we do, we're called to throw off a way of life that a lot of our world just rejects things of Christ, rejects the truth of the Bible and tries to go their own way. But that doesn't bring freedom. Remember, we throw off Christ and the ethic and the, the truth of God's word. It doesn't bring freedom. Uh, we see a culture that's full of anxiety and growing anxiety, growing depression, growing fear, growing anger. Uh, and Paul says, throw off that way of life and walk and follow Christ. I gave an illustration last week, so if you weren't here last week, I'll just kind of recap that illustration, because I think it's just a good picture of this throwing off and putting on and walking with Christ. And I gave an illustration from, it's, it's a really um, intellectual illustration, um, from a reality TV show, uh, The Biggest Loser. Maybe you're familiar with it, you've seen it. Uh, I talked about when we were... Um, in Asia serving there. It was before we had kids, and there was a segment of nine months where there weren't any other uh, missionary families with us. And we were, we'd only been there years, so our Chinese was horrible, 
and the biggest loser contestants, they were our best friends for a while. So, um, so, so, and a lot of times near the end of a con their, their whole contest, um, the people in that, in that show, they're trying to lose weight. They maybe need to lose 50 or 100 or 200 or 250 pounds, a lot of weight. And they get um, to the end of the competition and they've lost a lot of weight. And they have them run on this race, but before they run, they put weights upon them, like a vest with weights or on their arms or their legs of the weight that they had when they started the competition. And they run and at certain segments, they're able to throw off those weights and put them down. And it's a competition, but it's also to remind them, hey, um, don't put that weight back on. Remember what it was like. Why would you want to put that on and walk with that? So it's just this reminder. It's just kind of this way that Paul taught us last week. He said, hey, you didn't learn Christ that way, that old way of life, the patterns of this world and just going off. It really calls it an empty, vain life apart from Christ. It's like, why would you want to put that on? Throw it off. And then we get to this section, 25 through 32, where he begins to practically tell us, here, these are some things that should be thrown off, and these are some things that we should be putting on. So we'll walk through some of those this week. In verse 25, we begin, and he says, don't lie, um, speak truth. Let me read it, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of us, which one of you, speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one to another. So he says, put off, just throw off, put away all falsehood, all half-truth, all lying. Instead, instead, instead of falsehood in our life, we need to speak truth to one another. And we're reminded that we're called, that he's told, taught us already, that we're to be an unwavering people that are united upon the truth of God's word. We're united upon our knowledge of Christ, both what we learn in his word and also that we know about him. And we're, we should stand on those truths so we should throw off falsehood. I think some of that falsehood is false teaching, but I think you can broaden that application-wise of just, just lies and falsehood in general. We should be a really discerning people that look to truth of God's word. And even just discerning, I think sometimes we need to be careful that we don't um, continue or push on lies or forward lies to other people sometimes too, or repost lies. We need to be discerning people. I remember even when we were in Asia, um, there was a time where one of the, the brothers um, who's a follower of Christ, he said, oh, I, got, I've got, I heard this news that in America that at this certain date that everyone is required by law to have a chip put in their hand and it's going to have all your information and um, for sure you know, we're entering in the last days. And I said, well, that's actually not true. And he just couldn't believe me. He just would not believe me. And it caused division within the, the, the church even with some of the brothers because of this. Um, and I was like, no, this isn't true. And then I kind of researched it. And it was something that was actually at one time was one of those things that was forwarded around in the States as well. But it just wasn't based on truth. Um, and that, that, that date has come and passed. And I don't know about you, but I don't have a chip in my hand. But, <laughs> but there was disunity because of that. Um, we need to be discerning, be truthful, speak truth to one another, look to God's word and be discerning and put away all falsehood. And some of that means, sometimes speaking truth also means uh, we reveal even our need and our weakness sometimes. Like if you're asked, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? And you're like, nah, nothing. <laughs> and that might not be true. Uh, we need to speak truth to one another as well. 
Because um, it says, for we are members one of another. There's a unity. We're united. Uh, if you remember earlier, he said, we are, we are one people. Um, we have one faith, one God, one baptism, one hope, and one Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're to remember that. So put away falsehood. Speak truth. And then also, verse 26 through 27, don't hold on to anger. Um, even, even righteous anger, I'd say. I think if I would subtitle, I maybe redo this, and I would say, be on guard with your anger. Uh, don't allow your anger to control you. Let's look at that. Verse 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the, to the, to the devil. So we do see that in Scripture that there are times for a, a proper anger or a righteous anger. And most of the times, though, when we see that exhibited or shown, it's by God um, as he shows righteous anger or by Christ in the New Testament. And we, we too, there's, it's true, we should get angry about things that when there is injustice. We look at Ukraine and we see a maternity ward bombed, and we're angry. We see a a, a bomb shelter bombed with civilians in it. And of course, it stirs up anger in us. And though, I think sometimes though, at the same time, although there, there are categories where we are justified or we can, or we should be stirred in anger, I think that category is a lot smaller than we would like it to be. We like to, there's a lot of things that we justify our anger because we say, oh, it's righteous anger, but a lot of times it's actually self-righteous anger, and we like to just put it in that bucket. I think, I think it's a really small bucket uh, of righteous anger, and a lot of our anger goes into just that self-righteous type anger that we put and like to say, well, I'm justified um, in this. I can be angry. But then we're going to get to that a little bit. I don't think I could be angry. It doesn't say that exactly. Um, and, and anger, I think some of those times where we do get angry, and this is an example that uh, Paul Tripp, who's a pastor and a writer, he talks about it a lot with kids, with parents, with our children, but I think you can expand it way out to a lot of different applications. And, and a lot of times with our kids, we can get angry with them, and it's, but it's not because they've broken God's law. It's because they've broken... Our law, of, um, our law of personal time, our personal space, our personal preference, and we get angry at them. Um, but it's not righteous anger most of, almost all of the time. Or maybe we're on the roadway and someone drives a little bit slower. They don't realize that you're late to an appointment and you're like, oh, that's not righteous anger. That is self-righteous anger at them. They, they didn't. They didn't. They're, they're breaking your own personal laws. Um, or the person in your, in your checkout and they can't find their credit card, and you're like, why oh, can't you be ready? Don't you all know that we've got to go do that? No, no. This doesn't say be angry about those things. I don't see that. In just a little bit, Paul's going to say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Um, so the category of righteous anger is small. I think we need to be reminded of that because we, we don't have any problem to say oh, be, to, that we can be, have righteous anger. That's easy. It's saying, well, it might be a little bit smaller. So we need to be very vigilant, very, very, very careful with our anger. 
because anger can easily lead to sin. And then it says, deal with your anger that day. Don't hold on to it. It doesn't say, in your anger, hold on to it. No, no, it doesn't say that. Uh, but deal with it quickly and forgive. A little bit, Paul's going to say forgive. So not even a day should go by. There's an example that Paul, as he writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he's addressing a situation where in the church there was someone in the church, probably a leader, that had caused division and pain within the church and even probably opposed Paul. And um, they had then, therefore, they had disciplined him and he was excommunicated, probably from the churches where there's a lot of implication of what's going on in the situation. But let me read how Paul says now to treat this person. This is in 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. He says, if anyone has caused pain, so, and he's speaking about someone specifically, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain not so much to me, but to some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. So if someone has caused pain to all of you, what does he say to do? The punishment by the majority, it, it's sufficient for the person. So most likely that they had, for a time, had had, had them leave the church. He says, as a result, you should instead forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. I wrote for this purpose to test your character to see if you are obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I do. I, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it is for your benefit in the presence of Christ so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his scheme. So here's someone who's caused great pain to everyone in the church. And what does he say to do? Forgive. Comfort him, even. So this is the calling. So we're not entitled to hang on to anger, even righteous anger. Deal with it that day. Jesus led the way in this. You think of Jesus. He was on the cross, experiencing the most unjust evil ever portrayed in the world. And what does he say on the cross? Forgive them, Father. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That's what we see, how we deal with our anger. Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me and follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And I think that's part of what we see here. One practical way of, of denying self and loving Christ and loving others is, is not holding on to anger but forgiving and allowing God to deal with injustice and not us. Not even letting our, our, the sun go down on our anger. So it teaches us that our driving through traffic, it's, it's not to be an exercise in anger but an exercise in forgiveness. Uh, there's a, a book called Unoffendable by a guy named Brent Hansen and I don't maybe agree with everything in the book, but there's some really helpful things in there. And he says this. I used to think that to be, a, to be Christ-like meant to be alienated and put off by the sins of others. But it's quite the opposite. Refusing to be alienated and put off by the sins of others is what allows me to be Christ-like. I think that there's a shift in our thinking. Sometimes we just, i got to be offended all the time. No, no. Um, that, is, that is not the model that Christ gave us. He is a friend of sinners. And then um, Warren Wearsby, he says this. I find this helpful. I think this is a really important category of understanding anger. 
And he says this, It is difficult for us to practice a truly holy anger or righteous indignation because our emotions are tainted by sin and we do not have the same knowledge that God has in all times, in all matters. God sees everything clearly and knows everything completely, and we don't. The New Testament principle seems to be that believers should be angry at sin, but, but, but loving to, toward people. The fire of anger, if not quenched by loving forgiveness, will spread and defile and destroy the work of God. According to Jesus, anger is the first step toward murder, Matthew 5. Because anger gives the devil a foothold in our lives, and Satan is a murderer. Satan hates God and God's people. And when he finds believers with a spark of anger in their heart, he fans those sparks, adding fuel to them and does not and does a great deal of damage to God's people and God's church. So I think that's good. Just that that idea that um, God like we need to be very vigilant and careful with what we we call righteous anger because we don't know everything. (laughs) Uh, But God does. So anyway, some caution there. Verse 28 Do not steal, but work so that you can be generous. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have have something to share with anyone in need. So here we see, first we note, um, he speaks to the people in the church, clearly that there are those who who had been thieves before. So a church is full of those who, who, it's okay, it does not be okay. It should be here, always, um, because we're growing with Christ. And say, hey, you guys who are thieves, don't do that anymore. Turn from that. Work hard and throw away that um, lazy, really depraved way of getting gain. Um, throw those away. Work honestly. And then you work. Why do you work? Why do you not? Why you're not a thief? Why do you work hard? So that you can be generous. So you can be generous and you can give. First Thessalonians 4.11, Paul talks a little bit about this. He says to the church there, he says, aspire to live quietly. And to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Just another call. Live a quiet life. Work hard. And it tells us all of our life is that that can point people to Christ. There's no category of spiritual or secular. It's um, we're followers of Christ. All could be used to point to him, even the way that we work. And again, we're able to work and earn more money, not to hoard it and to be really comfortable or really secure. But it says here so that we can give away our treasures, so we can be generous. And even as I was reading this, I was, I was convicted about this. And, and I was thinking I have had lots of opportunities to be able to, to give to help uh, the work for the refugees in Ukraine, even through our uh, mission organization. If you go to sendrelief.com, or maybe it's .org, I don't know, you can search it. Anyway, but we, to give directly to those who are working with refugees. And I was like, man, I've been, I've been like, I need to do that. And I'll post something about that on Facebook. But actually giving, oh, I need to give. God's given me uh, enough so that so I can be comfortable that, that I can give. So we're kind of should be changed and in, in, um, encouraging that. And of course, as we give, uh, it's a tricky business giving, right? And we need to be wise within the way that we do give. There's a really good book called When Helping Hurts, and it's by those who do a lot of mercy ministry um, and a way to do it. So we do need to be discerning as we give, but we're the people to, that we need to, to give and to serve and to help others. So we see this great change, a life change. One who was, used to be a, a thief, maybe a cheat, and was sucking people dry, 
but then who's, hey, be a hard worker, change, put on honest hard work that you can be the one who gives generously to others who are in need. So we see this change that happens in the life when Christ comes in and he changes us. In the verses 29 through 30, 29 through 30, guard your words and speak with words of grace that build up. I think this is a good one. Again, as I go through all of these, uh, I'm not saying that I've got all of these pegged down and, and, and fixed. Uh, I'm just encouraging from the word. These are things I'm working on too as we walk through these. So it says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. That is, that, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. So here he's saying what to throw off. What do we need to put off? What was, hey, that's not, the, that's not how Paul earlier says, hey, that's not how you learned Christ. That's not how you came to Christ. Those old ways of life, throw them off. And this is one of them, a corrupt talk. Maybe your translation says foul language or unwholesome talk. And really the, the word there literally means bad, rotten Putrid. It's a word used for like rotten vegetables or flesh. So that kind of language, throw it off. It's talking about moral decay. So our language, it should stand apart from the language of the world. It should be different. It should be distinct. Because we have a God who speaks. Our God is one who spoke creation, all of creation into existence. A God who gave us his word. And he calls us to be a people who speak. So words matter, right? Words are important. Words reflect our creator. And they shouldn't be base and depraved in our language. It should be unique and different. Our words should build up. Our words should create. Our words should mend. Our words should heal and not tear down and destroy and discourage and throw crud at each other with. Uh, We're not to flippantly speak. We're supposed to guard words. And it's easy just to say, well, well, don't, don't use profanity. But it's, it's a bigger category than that. And I think that is part of it. Because um, most of the time when we use profanity, it's used to tear down and not to build up. Uh, and sometimes it can be base and crass and it just reflects the world. But it should be that that builds up. At the same time, our words, you can use flowery words with great sarcasm and uh, maybe a passive aggressiveness to tear down, um, that shouldn't be the case either. We need to use our words to be those who build up. Words are powerful, and we should use them to point people to Jesus and not to tear them down. So it's a good word, I think a challenging word. I think of Jesus, words matter. Jesus spoke in Matthew 12, verse 34. He's speaking to the Pharisees, and he says to them, how can you, do you speak? How can you speak good when you are evil? He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so what's kind of coming out of our mouth? It's a reflection of our heart. So words matter. Think of Proverbs 12, 18 that says, Therefore, are there is one whose rash words are like a sword thrust, but the, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So there's words that, that cut and words that heal. Where it would be a people that that pour out words that heal. And then he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, our, we are one body united in one spirit, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit for an for a eternal inheritance. 
And we're reminded that these words that tear down, they tear down our unity that we have on the Spirit. And they do grieve our God, who is, the Holy Spirit is fully God. So we need to not grieve the Holy Spirit by actions and our words. So he's reminding them of that. He's reminding us of these things and these truths. So our words matter. They should build up. We need to even reflect in our heart, Lord, how do my words reflect my heart? And then verse 31 through 32, guard against selfish, selfish self-serving attitudes and be kind. So Paul writes this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So he says, let all these things, bitterness, wrath, anger, um, clamor, that, uh, maybe your translation says shouting or quarreling, slander, malice, harshness, put all these things away. And these are attitudes of heart, heart attitudes and actions of the heart that reflect really a selfishness or self-centeredness, thinking of self most. And we need to, to die to self and, and put those things away. We were, as a family, we were recently watching a show where they were building a couple catapults. And um, as they were building them, someone mentioned, one of the guys said something, what, what would it be like to live in a time where you build these, these big things to throw stuff at your neighbor? And the other guy said, isn't that what we use social media for? And I thought, oh my goodness. Yeah, we, so, we was that some of the ways where bitterness, anger, clamor, um, slander, malice might, might come up. We, we need to put those things away. Another quote from that book, Unoffendable, he said, quit trying to parent the whole world. Quit offering advice when exactly zero people asked you for it. Quit being shocked when people don't share your morality. Quit serving as judge and jury in your own mind of the person who just cut you off in traffic. Quit thinking you need to discern what others' motives are and quit rehearsing your mind what other people did to you. Again, those with that self-centered looking in those things; those are the type of things that stir up bitterness and anger and clamor and quarreling in us. He says, "Put all those things away." Those are the weights that that we take off in Christ. And instead, what do we put on? Be kind to one another, compassionate, tender-hearted. That's the that idea of seeking to walk in the shoes of others. So, great grace, putting on great grace to be kind and forgiving as God. In Christ has forgiven us and poured out great mercy on us. We are to do the same, forgiving one another. Um, sometimes we think holding on to bitterness, we have a right to hold on to that, right? <laughs> Just for a little while, and somehow it, it feels like maybe I'm punishing that person if I hold on pretty tightly to bitterness. But we, we know, if we're honest with our hearts, that, that when we hold on to, to bitterness and anger, that we just punish ourselves. And, and those around us, our family and those. Uh, but it doesn't do anything. We, we are called instead to rest in Christ. Allow him to take care of the injustices in our life. And rest in him. And forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgive. Another, I think a last quote from that unoffendable book. He said, we should forfeit our right to be offended. That means forfeiting our right to hold on to anger. When we do this, we'll make 
we will be making a sacrifice that's very pleasing to God. It strikes at our very pride. It forces us not only to think about humility, but to actually be humble. So there's this call of humility to not hold on to anger, but forgive, be tender-hearted, walk in the shoes of other people, and forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And as we come to the end of this, we can look at all of these different things. This is one of those texts where a few weeks ago, where at the end I said, I said, maybe you're sitting there and you think, I think the pastor was talking to me about this situation. And I was like, I don't have it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, just preaching the word here of what's in here. And it's the Holy Spirit convicting. That's one of these passages where we could come away and be like, oh, man, I'm so, I'm so bad. But in this, we're reminded that God in Christ has forgiven you. You are forgiven. We are called to throw off that old, unrenewed life, uh, that life that, that brings no true hope, no peace, no, no joy. And we're reminded, though, that we are forgiven. We're reminded, too, if you come away and you're like, oh, I've convicted of sin, Jesus is a friend of sinners and calls you that he might forgive. I was reminded of an illustration in the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. We have some of those that are free in the back if you want one, where he, he kind of talks about the forgiveness of Christ. And he uh, refers to a quote from, a, from an older, a writer of old. And he quotes this. This is the quote that he brings this illustration to us from. It says, Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged by his showing grace and mercy in pardoning, relieving, and comforting his members here on earth. And then he gives this story. It's that of a, a compassionate doctor. He, he's traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to primitive tribes afflicted with a contagious disease. So he has all his medical equipment flown in to where he goes. He has the correct diagnosis for the problem, the disease, the epidemic, the pandemic, whatever's going on there. And he has the antibiotics prepared and available to him. And he's independently wealthy. So he's not looking for compensation here. He's not looking for any kind of financial gain as he does this. But he's seeking to provide care. And, but at the same time, the afflicted, they refuse his care. They want to care for themselves instead. They want to heal on their own terms. But then finally, finally, a, a brave young man steps forward to receive the care being freely provided. And what does the doctor feel when that first young man comes forward? Joy. His joy increases to the degree that sick come for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came. How much more if the disease, if the disease are not strangers, but his own family? So with us and so with Christ. He does not get flustered or frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, but distress. So Jesus came, and he, he came not for the healthy, but for the sick. And if we come and we come and we, we read and we learn from this passage, and we realize, I have some things I need, to, I need to confess, I need to repent, I need to throw off some things. And it's not to feel the burden of weight, but know that we have a Savior who forgives us and who is happy to pour out his grace upon us, lavish it upon us. Paul says that, that he has 
uh, that God in Christ pours out grace upon us. He lavishes that grace upon us in him. So we're reminded of this. Maybe you come this morning and you come and you're far from Jesus and you need the grace of Jesus this morning. You know? And he says, Jesus says, come to me. He says, turn from your sin and trust in me and believe. And Christ is one who was fully God and fully man who died on the cross for our sins and then rose again victorious over death and sin and Satan. He says, when you turn, you trust in me. Forgiveness, that healing, that life is poured out upon you. This morning, I encourage you even to trust in Jesus. This morning, if you want to learn more about that, to come even talk to me afterwards or, or some of the other folks here at Derby Hill. Love to, to share more about following Jesus this morning. Well, let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for your word. We do need to be reminded of what holiness looks like, what it means to walk and follow Jesus. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. We thank you that you remind us of the way that we speak, the way that we act, the way that we deal with anger. And you don't do it to wound us, but to bring more healing, and we thank you for that. And I pray that even as we seek to walk in your truth and walk according to these truths, that, that we will find, find your grace and your mercy and new life, and that we would be those who even more clearly point people to Jesus. And Lord, I do pray that if you are moving and working in, in hearts today who have yet to turn and trust in you, that even today, that you would open their eyes to the, the forgiveness and the life that's found in Jesus, that they might turn from their sins and trust in you as their Lord and Savior this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we continue to respond this morning. We continue to think upon the goodness of Jesus. We begin to continue to think about the gospel of, of Jesus Christ.